second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all of this authority, for it has been given over to me. And I will give it to anyone I please. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, from the dust of Ash Wednesday, we now move into the first Sunday of Lent which always takes us into the dust of the wilderness. Every year, this is the first reading for the first Sunday of Lent. We look at the temptation narratives in whatever gospel we happen to be, we happen to find ourselves in for that particular year. And the season of Lent is set around sort of making us wrestle with our human limits. It's sort of a challenging time within the liturgical year, and it's the time where we feel as if it's sort of working against us, because this is the time where all of the things that are set up are sort of there, and they sort of leave us feeling a little bit gloomy. Um, We want sort of the triumphant brass to come back, the chords of Easter, which are really sort of strong and major chords. We want that jubilance of late spring where we start to get the lilies and the tulips and all of those sorts of things filling our sanctuary. But we're just not quite there yet. So here we are in the middle of Lent, or sorry, in the beginning of Lent, and we're not always where we want to be. 
And all of the ways in which our lives are sort of not adding up, or all of the ways in which things that we had hoped are sort of not quite coming to pass in the way that we had imagined, those always seem to be further illuminated in the spirit of Lenten worship. And one of the questions that I always ask is, how do we get ourselves to sit through this for six weeks? Intentional pain, for the sake of pain itself, is not, in fact, what Lent is about at all. But pain, grief, change, for the sake of healing, well, that is something else entirely. And friends, I think that that is, in fact, what the spirit of Lent invites us to. Because all of us put ourselves under the surgeon's knife to experience pain in the short run for a longer and positive situation in the long term. The reality is that we all live with some degree of pain. That's part of what it means to be human. And we would fool ourselves if we somehow did not admit that to ourselves. It's okay. We have to live in this way to some degree. Some of us live with the pain of losing a loved one, a marriage, a friendship, an opportunity. That can be a really hard thing to work through. A long-worked-for vocation that somehow takes a turn that you weren't expecting. This is pain that doesn't go away. And it is not supposed to. So pretend that the pain that we live with in our lives is somehow just going to one day sort of pack up and move on is a lie that we all tell ourselves in order to find a way to survive. But often that just ends up numbing the pain. And then with a little awareness, a little digging, a little move in that direction, a little Lenten experience, we find that there we are back in the pain again. So the opportunity, I think, that we need to consider throughout this Lenten journey is that our Lenten worship wants to support us through this time of darkness. It wants to support us through this time of pain. It doesn't want to fix it. It doesn't want to make it go away. It just wants to be present with us and to remind us again and again that Jesus, in fact, walked in the darkness too. That Jesus walked in the darkness too. And that in itself gives us true hope that pain can be transformed over time and that it in fact can be redeemed. But it is no quick fix. And here, even in the text that we have visited today, Jesus finds himself in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, 40 days is the Bible's way of saying a very, very long time, a chapter, a season, a chapter of life. 
And friends, when we are in the darkness, we tend to have to wrestle with some choices about who we are and who we want to be. There are some stories when we're in the darkness that we need to reflect on, and we have an opportunity in that time to become truth-tellers about what it is that we see about God and what it is that we see about ourselves. And sometimes it's only the wilderness, only that chapter of walking through the darkness that can actually bring us to that place where we have enough courage and tenacity to be able to name who we are and where we're going. And there are some basic foundational narratives in our text today that the devil confronts Jesus with. In fact, he doesn't just confront him with, he asks Jesus to embrace several narratives about life, about God, about what it means to be human. And Jesus has to wrestle with those narratives and come to a place where he sort of reevaluates and rejects part of what he's hearing and then claims the truth about what he sees that God is up to. And so this time in the wilderness actually functions for Jesus as a teaching time, as a moment of opportunity, even though there's a level of pain and darkness. It's a time that forces Jesus to look in the face of great personal distress and vulnerability and still to come out on the other end and be a truth teller, to know just who he is. So I want to spend a few minutes walking through this text today and just helping us to illuminate some of these narratives that the devil faces Jesus with. And Jesus then flips it, and he doesn't embrace the narrative that the devil is giving him. In fact, he uses this time in the darkness to flip the narrative. And that's one of the reasons why he's able to walk out and embrace his ministry in a whole new way, right? So the first narrative, the first story that the devil tells Jesus is that you should not have to face your own pain. You shouldn't have to do it. There's no reason why you should have to face your own pain. The devil looks at Jesus and he says, hungry? Famished? Great. You've got a solution. Why don't you go ahead and turn these stones into bread? Pay no attention to what is happening in the larger picture. Don't give any thought to how this experience might be connected to something else. Just turn the stones into bread because that is what you need right now. Because you know what? You don't have to face this anyway. You can get away. No, Jesus says. We shall not live by bread alone. And in doing that, Jesus is taking this narrative that the devil has given him and he is flipping it. He's saying, I am not just a victim of my own circumstances. I have choices even when it seems like I don't have any. I have agency even when everything seems to be stacked against me. Jesus says, we shall not live by bread alone. We are bigger than our circumstances. 
bigger than our appetites. We all live in our bodies and we struggle in our bodies, but this doesn't mean that it's the whole story of who we are. We can make choices, even when it seems like there are none to be made. We can face our pain, even when our pain seems to be crushing us down and feeling insurmountable. That's the first narrative that the devil gives Jesus and that he flips on his head. The second story that the devil tells Jesus is that you are not enough. You are not enough. Not feeling successful, the devil says, Midlife crisis slowing you down, not finding a partner, not being published yet, don't own a house, struggling to get your financials in order when some of your friends keep planning their annual trip to Hawaii. You've got some real problems, devil says. You're not enough. You're not enough. Just forget your ideals he says to Jesus, forget who you really are, give up on your dreams, and exchange all of that for the success of looking good in front of others, because it doesn't really matter who you really are. It just matters what other folks think of you. So if we can handle that piece, then we've got everything else taken care of, because you are not enough on your own. No, Jesus responds, worship the Lord and serve only him. No strings attached, no fake promises. Jesus looks at the narrative that the devil gives him and says straight into his face, you are enough. Just you and nothing more. Let's move to the last one very briefly. Because I think that this is one of the ones that we struggle with the most as the community of faith. Because the last story that the devil tells, the last narrative that he lifts, is that God is not enough. That God is not enough. And this is a big one for us. Because we all experience moments when God is not playing by our rules. Or when even worse, this happens, when God isn't even playing by the rules that it seems like God set up. And that's one of the reasons why we read Psalm 91, if you remember earlier in our service today. Because Psalm 91 is that exact text where the psalmist says he will command his angels concerning you. And so the devil is playing up on that saying, remember how God said this? You need to make sure that God is who he said he's going to be. And we all wrestle with that. We wrestle with that when God does not play by our rules. I've prayed and I've prayed, but still nothing. Or I've listened for years, but it just seems like nothing but the sound of radio silence. Or one of the things that I hear often, or sometimes, maybe not often, but enough, is I used to think that God answers prayer, and now I just don't know if that's true anymore. And so, the devil confronts Jesus with the same story. Throw yourself down. 
Let's see. Let's see if God is really who he says that he's going to be. Let's see if he really has what it takes to be God. Because we're all just not so sure anymore. No, Jesus says, don't put God to the test. Allow the space for God to be God apart from the job description that we have all written. Allow space for God to be free. Do not make the mistake of turning God into your God alone. And perhaps this is one of the hardest lessons of our lives and of our faith because it can leave us feeling faithless and tired. But in our text today, this is where the identity struggle ends. And Luke tells us that it was with this last back and forth that the devil had finally finished every test. That piece of accepting that God is fully free and that we have the opportunity to let God be God. This temptation narrative always, every year, gives us that opportunity to return to our core. Because really what sort of the devil is drilling into Jesus are these common lies that we experience within the human story over and over and over again, that we don't have to face our own pain, that we are not enough, or that somehow God is not enough. And every year we have the opportunity to return to those stories and to reclaim them and to open ourselves for healing and to say, yes, we can face our own pain. Yes, we ourselves are enough. And yes, God is free to be God on God's own terms. And when we come to the story of Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday, we are going to be so glad that we trusted this God to be God on his own terms. Friends, I want to close with a reading from a book that I'm reading right now called Kitchen Table Wisdom. And I don't know if any of you have read this book. I've mentioned it a few times, and I just keep coming back to it over and over again, so you might expect to hear more of this. But Rachel Naomi Remen, she is a doctor, teaching practitioner, actually, at the University of San Francisco. And she also has struggled with lifelong Crohn's disease. Um, and she it finds herself within the Jewish tradition, but she has written now two books on healing and what it means to be in the process of healing and what it means to open yourself up to healing. And as a doctor, she's also talked about the difference between being cured and being healed. So she has a very strong insight. This has been her life's work. And I just want to offer some of her words today that might give us a little bit of insight into why it is that we have the opportunity to face our pain and our darkness every year. Let's, let's hear what she has to say. One of the most dramatic manifestations of the life force is seen in the plant kingdom. When times are harsh and what is needed to bloom cannot be found, certain plants become spores. These plants dampen down and wall off their life force in order to survive. It's an effective strategy. Spores have been found in mummies, 
thousands of years old, and they have unfolded into plants when given the opportunity of nurture. When no one listens, children form spores. In an environment hostile to their uniqueness, when they are judged, criticized, and reshaped through approval into what is wanted rather than what is supported and allowed to develop into who they naturally are, children wall the unloved parts of themselves away. People may become spores, young, and stay that way throughout most of their lives, but a spore is a survival strategy. It is not a way of life. Spores do not grow. They endure. What you needed to do to survive may be very different from what you needed to do to live. Plant spores are opportunists. The life force waits in them, scanning the environment, looking for the first opportunity to bloom. People may forget that becoming a spore is only a temporary strategy. Few check the environment, as plant spores do, to see if conditions have changed, and they can find what they need to bloom and claim their wholeness. Many of us still hide the parts of ourselves that were unacceptable to our parents and to our teachers, although our parents are long gone and their world with them. In the world of my childhood, boys never cried, and those that did were sissies, and of course all girls were supposed to be sissies. And the world we live in now offers far greater opportunities for expression, but we may still live in it as if we were in the hostile terrain of our childhood. The saddest part is that we may have forgotten what it is like to be whole, what it is like to feel and to cry, what it is like to take initiative and a specific viewpoint. Reclaiming ourselves usually means coming to recognize and accept that we have in us both sides of everything. We are capable of fear and courage, generosity and selfishness, vulnerability and strength, and these things do not cancel each other out, but offer us a full range of power and response to life. Life is as complex as we are. Sometimes our vulnerability is our strength, our fear develops into courage, and our woundedness is the road to our integrity. It is not an either-or world, it is a real world. In calling ourselves heads or tails, we may never own and spend our human currency, the pure gold of which our coin is made. But judgment may heal over time. One of the blessings of growing older is the discovery that many of the things I once believed to be my shortcomings have turned out in the long run to be my strengths. And the other things of which I was unduly proud to have revealed, revealed to themselves in the end to be among my shortcomings. Things that I have hidden from others for years turn out to be the anchor and the enrichment of my middle age. What a blessing it is to outlive your self-judgments and to harvest your failures. That is the opportunity of the wilderness. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this season, this season that feels dark and yet holds so much opportunity 
Give us the courage to scan our environment and not remain spores, but find the context we need in which to grow and bloom and live. Through Christ we pray. Amen.